If you guys know me at, at all, you know that yesterday was really difficult for me. Uh, I don't like to admit it, but I was a little depressed yesterday. And uh, some of you know why. I went to Florida State, and uh, if you watched uh, the game yesterday, uh, you can imagine uh, how I'm feeling now. Uh, it was the worst game I've ever watched, for sure. We, uh, we got totally annihilated. And uh, I felt really good about it going in, and about three minutes in, I thought, I'm really glad I'm not hanging out with anybody right now, because it would not, it would not be a good look. And uh, I, I'm not afraid to share that with you. You know, I, I, it's a little hard to say. Some people think maybe it's superficial that football affects me so much, um, but it does, and maybe some of you can relate. Uh, there, are, there are things like that that affect us, and it's, it's not hard to share those things with each other, to, to be transparent on simple things like that. But what is difficult is being transparent about much deeper things, right? Uh, transparency, as we kind of move into week two of our new study, Grace Affords, and this week we're looking at transparency. Last week we looked at commitment. This is really difficult for us. The idea that we're going to have to be transparent and open and honest with our friends, with our family, with people we're dating, uh, with people we're married to, with our kids. Really being open because we're afraid of disappointing others. We're afraid of being disappointed. We're afraid that the people that we're in relationship with will prove to be not as wonderful as we thought or more wonderful than we thought, which makes us feel not as wonderful as we think we are. And so Paul tonight in this passage is, is coming to us and he's modeling transparency, but he's also explaining to us why we have the ability to be transparent with each other. And it's at the very end, he says, because Jesus is always yes. See, the context of this passage is interesting. It's 2 Corinthians, which means right before this, there's a letter called 1 Corinthians that Paul also wrote. It's to the Corinthians, the people in living in Corinth. They were believers. There's many churches there, really big, large, bustling city. And Paul writes to them. In 1 Corinthians, he writes a very difficult letter for them to read. As Paul's typical style, he comes in and he says very nice things about them. They're good friends. They spent 18 months together, so they're close. But then he goes into a whole host of things that are really wrong in the church. He's very transparent with them. He's honest. Here are some of the things happening in the church. The church was very uh, disunified. There was a lot of division in the church. There's a lot of fighting. People were suing each other. And that wasn't even the worst of it. They were also worshiping idols. Uh, so you could imagine that's a little bit of an issue. It's a Christian church and they're worshiping idols. And also there was huge issues with sexual immorality in this church to the point to where a father's son took his wife from him in the same family. So things are getting wild in Corinth. It's out of control. And Paul writes this letter to them and he's essentially telling them, listen, I'm not writing this letter. He says these words. I'm not writing to, be ash- to shame you, to-, to make you feel shame. But I'm writing these things because there needs to be change. There needs to be some growth here. He's honest. And you could imagine it's kind of hard to hear, right? They're getting this letter from Paul. They're really excited. They read it. The first chapter is great. And they get, to, whoa, whoa. He starts laying into all these things that are some, some darkness taking place in the church. And they're upset at him, not simply because he wrote this letter to them, but also because Paul told them he was going to come visit. He said, listen, guys, I'm going to come visit you. Don't worry about it. And then he doesn't show up. So they're looking at Paul. They're like, listen, dude, we were friends. We love each other. And you write us this letter, and then you tell us you're going to visit, and you don't show up. So they begin to question his integrity. They begin to question his character. 
They begin to say, why should we listen to anything that you say? You, you say one thing and do another. You talk out of both sides of your mouth. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians here in the very beginning, he's addressing that. He's addressing the, the attacks and the issues on his character. But not simply that, he's also going to demonstrate for them what it looks like to be transparent. He demonstrated in 1 Corinthians that sometimes transparency demands hard conversations. But it also means that you are open and honest with uh, some of the issues and tension that takes place in relationships. William Douglas said that sunlight is the best disinfectant. And Paul is modeling this, and he's teaching that to us, that in relationships, there's a lot of darkness that we want to hide, and we just want to keep to the side. Let's not deal with that. Let's not explain that. Let's not put that forward. And Paul is modeling and teaching us that sunlight, light, bringing light into dark areas is necessary to healthy relationships, though it is very, very difficult. And he says this in the first verse, for our boast is this, verse 12, the testimony of our conscience. If you've read Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. He uses the word boast a lot. And what he's saying by the word boast is confidence. He's saying our confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. So he's saying we have confidence in our actions, Paul and those that were with him, because their conscience is clear. They don't feel as if they did anything wrong. But it's really important here because Paul is not saying that conscience, your conscience, is the thing by which you can determine right and wrong in all of your actions. He's not equating your conscience with the voice of God. He's not saying the supreme authority that you should live your life by is what you think in your head because you know that we justify our actions by what we think, right? By what our conscience tells us. And we have the ability to make ourselves feel as if decisions or things that we've done or said are okay because we've convinced ourselves that they are okay. We've been able to manipulate our conscience to say, yeah, I'm justified in that behavior or that action or those words, but we're also capable of condemning ourselves for things that we didn't do wrong, making ourselves feel less insecure as if we've offended somebody when actually maybe what we were doing was being honest and truly loving to them. So our conscience is flawed because we are flawed people, right? If sin affects all of us, it affects every human faculty and one unique aspect to humanity is that we have a conscience and it is also flawed. But Paul is saying something here. He's saying that one of the reasons why they can have confidence in their actions is because their conscience is clear. But the reason it's clear is not just because he feels like they did the right thing, not just because he feels like they should not be writing him this letter and criticizing his behavior and questioning his integrity, but it's because his conscience is surrendered to a higher standard. He has surrendered himself and his mind to something above him. And so because of that, his conscience is surrendered to truth. Therefore, it enables him to have confidence in his actions. Look what he says in the next verse, he says that we behaved in the world with simplicity. Here's why we have confidence. We behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward you. He's saying the reason that I have confidence in my behavior towards you, the reason I can be transparent and my transparency was not wrong and you have no reason to question my integrity and my character is because my mind is submitted to godly wisdom, to the grace and truth of God. 
He says it's not because of earthly wisdom. And, and listen, he could have said, listen, people in Corinth, friends, let me kind of just flesh this out for you just in a very logical way. You're coming to me and accusing me of my character. When you're existing in a community where everybody is suing each other, everybody is fighting, sexual immorality is running rampant, people are trading wives, and you're worshiping idols, and you're going to come to me and be mad because I couldn't stop by on, a, on my journey. You're going to question, really, you're going to question me, right? That's our go-to, right? Typically, our go-to is to justify our action just because of what makes logical, rational sense to us. But Paul, though he probably could have done that here and said, listen, you guys are ridiculous, he says, I'm not saying that I'm confident because of earthly wisdom, though let's be honest, you have no reason to question me. He's saying the reason I have confidence is because my mind is submitted to the grace of God, to the truth of God. I was acting in a simple and clear and godly way with you. It is submitted to godly wisdom. That is why, yes, I brought light to dark areas and that was uncomfortable for you. It wasn't necessarily easy for me, but it was the right thing to do. And my mind and my conscience is clear because it's submitted to a higher standard than just what I feel. And he says that, right? In verse 13, he says, for we are not writing to you anything other than what you had read already and understood and what you, I hope, you will fully understand. He's saying we and his companions, Sylvanus and Timothy, that were with him, we were very clear with you. We were very honest with you. It was very simple. We weren't being ambiguous. We're being clear. And you know that. You spent 18 months with us and now you're wanting to question us because we said that we were going to visit and we weren't able to. Like, give us a little benefit of the doubt here. Our conscience is not surrendered to just how we feel. Do you really think that I just sat there and said I just don't feel like going? He's saying that, no, that's not the case at all. He's saying that you should give us a little bit more understanding because our conscience is surrendered to a higher standard. And we have always been honest with you. We've always been transparent. Why would you question that now? See, transparency for us is, is uncomfortable, right? We, we want it. We demand it in society. It was so interesting. I'm sitting there thinking about the sermon this week uh, at Pipeline in, a co- in the co-working space where I work. And I'm sitting there getting coffee, probably my fourth or fifth cup of the day. And I, I look at the screen. You know, they always have ESPN on. They have two TVs. They have ESPN and they have CNN. That's always on. And I look up on the screen and guess what it says on the screen? It says, why are Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton not transparent? And I'm like, man, this is interesting. And then I, I was look. I said, you know, I want, what happens if I type in like transparency in Google? I, maybe I put another word in there, but I put in transparency and something else. And what the first thing that came up was an article. Uh, their CNN said that this is, they've determined that this campaign, this election cycle is the non-transparency campaign. So I'm sitting there processing like, man, we really demand transparency. We want transparency, right? We want it from our politicians. We want them to be honest and open. We want it from our employers. We want to know the expectations they have for us. We want to know the direction of the company. We want to know what's happening behind the scenes. We want it in church. We want our leaders to be transparent and to be honest and to be open. But it's difficult for us to be transparent with each other because if we're honest, our society is pretty shady. And it makes sense because we feed and take in and love shadiness. 
There's a genre, I'm terming this, it's called the shady genre. It's pretty much 80% of Netflix. So if you have it, you know. If you notice on Netflix, here are the, the things that we love that go viral and everybody watches and listens to it typically have to do with people being shady. So you have Making a Murderer, right, which is about the shady legal system. You're just watching it and you're just, you know, forming all these opinions and there's articles coming out. There's uh, all the food documentaries. I don't know how many are Netflix, maybe 45 million. But all of them are about what? Besides like the ones about the chefs, all the ones about like, the shady food companies and the food laws and they're putting all this weird stuff and here's why you should eat kale and all, all this other stuff, right? So it's shadiness. Then you have conspiracy theories, which is just about shady government and shady people. And I love those. Man, Area 51, what happened there? I don't know, but I want to know. Then you have reality TV shows. And what are reality TV shows are about? They're not just about like people that are honest with each other and love each other and are committed to each other. And yeah, there's issues, but there's, no, it's about like the shadiest people ever. It's the whole genre and we eat it up and we love it. Why? Because we relate with it. We want transparency, but we're afraid to be transparent because it's dangerous. It's scary to us. But here's the issue, shadiness eventually necessitates transparency. We can be shady all we want, we can keep things close to the chest, we can hide things, we can put things in this corner and hopefully our friends and our loved ones don't ever see it, but eventually light will be brought to the dark areas of our life and the things that we're hiding. Eventually, transparency is necessary. Um, Raise your hand if you've seen the show Breaking Bad. Some of you, okay, all right. I'm not gonna ruin it. If you haven't seen it, I'm not gonna give you any spoilers, but here's the show. The show is, um, you know, one of the highest watched shows ever. It's really high rating on IMDb, great show. But the show is about this. It's about a man who's a father and a husband and a chemist. And out of desperation, he decides that he needs to provide for his family. He wants to leave his kids and his family money because he has cancer and he believes he's not going to make it much longer. And so he decides to make meth. Not a, bad, not a great decision, but that's his decision. And the whole show is about how he, over time, he goes into doing something wrong with these, what we would maybe say are, are good intentions, so it was a really flawed decision to do it in the first place. Over time, what happens is he's hiding so many things. He's lying, he's keeping things hidden from his wife, from his friends, from his family. He's being shady in every different area of his life. And eventually, it not only corrupts and destroys every single relationship that he's in, but it also destroys him. It changes him. It corrupts him. And that eventually, the idea, the story, or the sermon of Breaking Bad is what happens when transparency is lost. When there's no transparency in relationships and everyone is just hiding their darkness, it gets ugly really fast. That's what Breaking Bad is about that eventually when you keep transparency out of relationships and you're not able to be honest and real with each other, they will eventually break bad. That's the idea of the show. And we watch that and it's so highly watched and rated so high. Why? Because we relate with it. We understand that there have been relationships that we've been in or maybe are currently in where we're not honest and it's trending to the worst, it's breaking bad. And there's other relationships that we're afraid will break bad if we really find out who we really are. But transparency is necessary and it is in fact loving. Last week we talked about how uh, grace affords that relationships demand and we're afforded the ability to be committed to each other. And commitment is love and love is commitment in relationships with one another. 
And if that's the case, if we're committed to love someone, a friend, a family member, a child, someone we're dating or a spouse, then it demands that we're transparent. Because allowing something to fester in a relationship is not loving. And keeping something hidden for fear that it may cause issues or strife or hard conversations with a friend or with a spouse or with a child or with a parent is not loving. It's not committed. And we think that if they really knew who I was or if I really shared honestly what I feel or what I'm thinking or what they do that really affects me, it's going to break the relationship. It's going to bring darkness into the relationship, but actually the reverse is the case. And we see it time and time again, and Paul is modeling this. He's saying that we are to be transparent with one another. And actually, as William Douglas said, the quote, sunlight is the best disinfectant. It's the thing that brings us and binds us together. Because it's impossible for us to say to each other, I really care for you, but I'm unwilling to share with you who I really am. We can't say, I really want our relationship to grow, but I'm going to keep away all the pain and all the issues that I have. I really want uh, to serve you, and I want to be committed to you, but I don't want to enter into any pain, and I don't want to have any hard conversations. So we can't say those things. We can't say that we're committed to loving and being in a relationship with a friend or with a spouse or with a parent or with a child if we're not transparent. We have to be transparent. We have to be open and honest. And Paul demonstrates this. In verse 15, he says, but I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first. He's explaining what happened so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. He's saying, listen, you assume that the reason I didn't come to you was because I don't care about you. You assume that I, I said I was going to go, and then I just decided that I don't feel like it, so I didn't show up. I write you this really hard letter for you to read, and then I don't show up, so therefore I must be shady. He's saying it's not the case at all. Actually, my intention was to see you not once but twice, because you're very dear to me. I wanted to visit you twice, but something happened and something got in the way and I'm, I'm being transparent, I'm being honest, I'm not keeping anything from you. I've always been that way with you. I've been simple and clear and godly in my relationship with you. Why would you question me now? And you can tell here that there's, in the way that this letter is written, that there is this love that Paul has for the believers in Corinth and they have a, a deep love for him too. It's why they're so offended. It's why they're so hurt that he wrote them this letter and then he doesn't show up. Here's what he says. He says in verse 17, friends, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? He's saying, do you really think that I just, it was an easy decision for me to not come? Was I vacillating? Do you think that it was just like, guys, we're tired today, right, Sylvanus? Right, Tim? Like, let's not go to Corinth. I know we said we were gonna go. We actually thought about going twice. Now we're not gonna go at all. It wasn't an easy decision for me, but you assume that it was. He's saying, I don't make plans according to the flesh. I don't say yes and no. I'm not two-faced. I don't speak out of both sides of my mouth. I'm committed to loving you, which means I'll be transparent with you. I'll be honest. I'll share with you what I'm thinking and what happened and what I'm feeling. You know that because I wrote you a really difficult letter. It wasn't easy for me to write. And I really wanted to see you, but something happened and something came up. He says, I have to be transparent with you. In verse 18, he says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. He says, listen, he says, 
let God be the witness. That's the thing that my conscience is surrendered to, the highest standard. It's the, the thing by which my life is guided. I, I'm surrendered to God and his word and his truth. And the reason that I wasn't able to come was in fact because something happened and God was leading us a different way. Let God be witness. The reason I did not come was not because I don't love you. <laughs> and it's not that I'm just saying yes and no. I'm always honest with you. He demonstrates to them here what it looks like to be transparent, that sometimes there will be tension in relationships that can arise out of a conversation that was hard, like in Paul's case where he writes 1 Corinthians, or for for an action that you made or a word that you said or somebody else made, but the call is to be committed to one another to where you can be transparent, to where you can really be honest. And transparency is really difficult for us simply because it's scary. We are afraid that if we're really honest with others, they will prove to either be more than what we thought they were or less. That if if I'm really honest with my friends about who I am and what I'm struggling with and what I'm going through and how I feel, if I'm really transparent, they are going to prove to be not as good of friends as I thought they were. Or they may prove to be better friends than I am to them. And that's really painful too. If I'm really honest with my child or if I'm really honest with my parents, that could cause a lot of pain and a lot of disappointment and a lot of disillusionment of what I thought they were like or how they were behaving. And that could cause issues we think in our relationship or maybe a spouse or maybe a a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You're, You're afraid to be transparent because you're afraid of disappointing them or you're afraid of them disappointing you. Because you think, man, if they really knew some of the things I think, some of the things that are going on, man, that's going to really cause a lot of strife and a lot of issues in our relationship. But Paul is saying that commitment to love someone means that you'll be transparent with them. That bringing light into a relationship is actually the best disinfectant. It's actually the thing that actually binds you closer together. It's the thing that grows you in relationships. It's what being caring is, is being honest and being open, not keeping things from each other. See, we we fall into the mentality that ignorance is bliss, right? If I just don't know, then everything will be okay. But the reality is ignorance is prison. It's prison. You're locked in a prison where you don't really know each other, and you think your relationship is great, but you you're never quite sure, and you're always a little nervous that that person's going to disappoint you or hurt you because no one's ever honest with each other. Jessica and I were uh, in Israel in so, it's the summer of 2015. We decided to rent a car and drive around and go all over the place. And uh, you could probably, if you know me, you, you could assume this. I said, listen, I'm not going to go to the commercialized baptism side of Jesus. Like, you know, everyone's there, the Jordan, woo, jump in. You know, like, come on, that's not where he was baptized. I'm not going there. I want to go to the real baptism site. So that was a bad idea. So what happened was we're driving through the West Bank, and uh, we're off-roading in the West Bank. Uh, There is a road, but kind of a road. And we're driving around the the West Bank by ourselves. No one's around. It's a really kind of nerve-wracking environment, definitely shady. And we stumble upon a sign. And here's what the sign says. Caution. Live minefield. Jessica very gently looked at me and said, Carter, you're going to put us on the main road right now. (laughs) 
very kind, but very direct. Carter, we're, we're, we're not doing this anymore. We're in a live minefield. So we're obviously alive. We're, both legs are intact. We got back to the road. Um, I didn't even know where we were. I just said, well, we're going to go that way. So we got back to the road. We're safe. And, uh, you know, it's a story that was a little terrifying in the moment, but it's all good. But the reality is re- relationships are like minefields. We know that, right? You've been in a relationship for a while with a friend or with someone you're dating or a spouse. They're like minefields. You're going to step on things and it's, it's going to blow up. And the call for us is not to say, you know what? I know relationships are like, are like minefields. Let's just get out of here and go to the main road where it's safe and where it's straight and there's no issues. We can just drive forward. We can avoid all of the hazards and just plow right on ahead. Actually, the call, and Paul demonstrates this, is that in relationships, though they're like minefields, we're called to navigate them, called to stay there, to work through them, to be transparent and to be honest. And it may not feel like bliss, It may not be easy. It will be uncomfortable. It will be painful at times. There'll be hard conversations. There'll be tension. But when both people are committed to being transparent and being honest, it will actually bring about healing. It'll bring about growth in your relationship. And to emphasize and to close his point, Paul turns to Jesus. He says this in verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always Yes, he's saying that we have proclaimed the good news, the gospel to you, and it was very clear. It was not ambiguous. It was very straightforward. And what you come to know is that Jesus Christ, your Savior, it's always yes with him. It's not yes and no. It's not ambiguous. It's not cloudy. It's not muddled. It is always yes. And what does that mean? It means in verse 20 where he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him, we can utter our amen to God for his glory. He's saying, listen, we may be people that break promises. We may be people that struggle with transparency because we have darkness we're afraid of showing. We may be people that hurt each other. We are people that fail, but Jesus has never failed. He is always yes. He has filled all of the promises of God. And just to, to, to name a few, think about this. Think about who your savior is and who your God is, the integrity that Jesus is. The law of Moses comes to the people of God and the 10 commandments and many more and says, here's the law of God. Here's the standard by which you're to live by. And what does it reveal to us? Very quickly, we are incapable of fulfilling that. God's standard is perfection. We are incapable of fulfilling that. It's what it's there for. It's to reveal our need for a savior and the standard of God, which is perfection. Well, we, we say a lot that Jesus lived a perfect life. Why do we say that? Because what promise did Jesus fulfill? He fulfilled the requirement of the law, right? He fulfilled the requirement to be perfect and to uphold God's standard that we could not. He fulfills it on our behalf. We look at in the Old Testament during the time uh, where the, uh, the people of God were in Israel or in uh, Egypt and uh, the, the angel of death is gonna sweep through at night. If you've heard the story, the people of God are told to take the blood of a lamb and put it on top of their doorpost. So that anybody inside the house, when the angel of death and judgment and wrath sweeps through the city, if the blood is on your door, it will cover you. Well, what do we see in the New Testament? It says that that we are covered by Jesus' blood. 
And because we're covered by his blood, what happens? The wrath and judgment of God passes over us. We see in uh, Genesis 3.15, which is the first mention in the first prophecy of of Jesus' arrival, that when sin entered the garden, when sin entered through Adam and Eve, God looks at the serpent. And he says something very famous in Genesis 3.15. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is that prophesying? All the way back in the third chapter of the entire Bible, God is saying that someone is coming and it's in fact Jesus, the savior of the world is gonna come and his, his heel is gonna be bruised when he was on the cross. But what is that gonna do? What is the cross going to do? It's gonna crush the head of the serpent. It's going to do away with sin and with death because of his actions. The sacrificial system in the Old Testament, they would take a perfect spotless lamb and they would kill the lamb and then they would take the blood, they'd sprinkle the blood on the, on the Ark of the Covenant, on the, on the mercy seat, and that blood, the killing of the lamb and the blood would be the atonement, the forgiveness, the substitute for the people of God and their sins so they could continue in relationship with God. Well, what is Jesus called? The Lamb of God, Right? that shed his blood was a sacrifice, was a substitutionary atonement for the sins of his people. One of the most obscure passages in the Old Testament, there's these serpents running wild, they're venomous, they're biting people, and the people are gonna die because the serpents uh, are venomous. They're cursed. And so God comes to Moses, he said, I want you to do something. I want you to take a bronze serpent. I said, okay, so he makes this bronze serpent. I want you to put it on a pole, cut down a tree, put it on a pole, and I want you to raise the serpent up. And anyone that's been bitten, anyone that's been cursed, if they look at the serpent that's on that pole, they'll be healed. Well, Paul in Galatians says that Jesus became a curse for us. He took on our curse, our sin, our shame, our guilt on the cross. And what happened? When he was raised up on the pole, on the cross, on the tree, anyone that looks at him in faith is what? Healed. See, there are many, many more from the Old Testament. All the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. He is perfectly faithful. He is the example of perfect integrity. And Paul is saying here that because Jesus is always yes, we can answer amen to him. Amen means so be it or so it is. We can say amen to the glory of God because Jesus is perfectly faithful. He never fails. And so though we disappoint, each other, he never disappoints us. Though we break promises, he's fulfilled all promises. Though we fail, he will never fail. And so what this does, it gives us the freedom to be transparent with each other. Because of Christ's integrity, we are free to be transparent. We are afforded transparency. Why? Sermon title, because of grace. The grace of God has afforded us transparency. We will break commitments, we will fail each other, but Jesus has never, and so we are able to be transparent with one another. He ends his passage, he says, here's the reality for us in verse 21 and 22. It's that we have been established, anointed, and sealed in Christ. He says, and it is God who establishes us in Christ, with you in Christ. He has anointed us, and he has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's very clearly saying here that grace affords us transparency. Why? You have been established in Christ. What does that mean? You have been established, rooted, grounded 
in the grace and the love and the mercy and the forgiveness of Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. Your shame is gone, your guilt is gone, your sin has been removed if you have looked at him on the cross in faith. You're established in him. Why would you need to hide anything? He's removed it all from you. He's saying you're anointed. What does that mean? He says that Christ, his grace has come, it's changed you, it's freed you, it's made you think differently. There's no reason now to think that, well, I gotta hide my shame, I gotta hide my flaws and my failures because I don't want anyone to know that I'm a flawed person. No, no, no. We're established and anointed in Christ, meaning we're able to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm flawed. I'm gonna make mistakes and I can be honest with my friends, with my loved ones. I can be honest with someone I'm dating or with my spouse because I've been forgiven, because Christ has been faithful, that you've been sealed in Christ, which means that you know, regardless of your behavior, that you're locked in Christ, eternally locked with him. No matter what you do, and if you disappoint or break promises, you are sealed in Christ. So you are afforded the ability to be transparent. That's why Paul ends and he says, but I call God to witness against me, verse 23. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. He doesn't give us all of the information, but he says, listen, the reason I didn't come was not because I don't care about you or because I don't love you. It's quite the opposite. It's, it's because it wouldn't have been good for you. Something came up. And because I don't fall by earthly wisdom, but I'm surrendered to God, I know I'm established in Christ. I'm anointed and sealed in Christ. I can be honest and transparent. I'm not hiding anything from you, even if it means that it's gonna cause issues in our relationship. He's modeling for them that when you really believe grace, when you really come to understand God's grace to you, it affords you the ability to be transparent with people. You don't have to hide anything anymore. One of my favorite shows is Broad Church. Have any of you seen this show? It's phenomenal. It's on Netflix binge watch session this weekend. Uh, It's a show about this small, little, sleepy, generally wholesome, happy, good town. And they get rocked to the core. This town is called, quote unquote, a town wrapped in secrets. And uh, a horrible tragedy happens where, where a young boy is murdered. And they don't know who was the culprit, who was the murderer. And the whole point of this show is that it begins to unveil something, that because of this boy's death, it forces the town to come out of hiding. Every single person in this town has been hiding all of their darkness, all of the failures, all of their flaws, just painting on smiles. Everyone's happy, everything's good. Nothing bad ever happens in Broad Church. But this forces them. The death of this boy forces them to be honest and to come out of hiding. And what happens in the show is because they actually become transparent, they find healing in so many relationships that were broken, just they painted over with a nice brush. And I I share you that because Paul is saying the same thing here. He's saying that when you come to understand grace, you've been established, anointed, and sealed in Christ, you believe and understand his death. What does his death afford you? It affords you the ability to be transparent. It, It forces you to realize that you have nothing to hide, that you need to come out of hiding, you need to stop putting things away and be honest with each other. And what we come to find, if we're really committed to loving each other, that if we're transparent with our friends, with people we're dating, with our spouse, with our kids or with our parents, we're gonna find healing. Because grace really does afford us and supply us the ability to be transparent with each other. Let's pray.